Okay, so we're drinking alcohol for this one. This is called 2B60. It's delicious, but it is hard liquor. It's Tuesday, it's, motherfuckers. So by which is in the news, I'm going to taper off because we need to drive. And I'm editing this one. So Tara's going to keep everything. I'm going to fucking she keep does. everything. I, I cut everything it. and she keeps everything. We are polar opposites in that. I hope you guys like vocal fry. Ooh, we love vocal fry. Because it's about to get gritty. Remember when some person said I sounded like Kourtney Kardashian and I was so flattered. <laughs> so flattered. And she's dating Travis Barker. So, I mean, that's a flattering thing to be right now. Exactly. A Kourtney Kardashian. I love it. Was that meant as an insult? I don't fucking care. I think I thought it was flattering. Yeah. It might have been a compliment. I think it was a compliment. I took it as a compliment. I'm sorry. You sound like a millionaire heiress. Oh. Me? To an empire. Oh, my God. Thank you. A matriarchal empire. Thank you. What did you do today? This. This. Oh, right. yeah. I, yeah. I watched you periodically throughout the day as I was. Like, ah! <laughs> and then we met the pet sitter. We would like hired one on Rover. So I feel like Aww. a millionaire because uh-huh. I used to work at Rover. And so now I'm like, ooh, I'm going to hire someone. Ah, hire <laughs> someone to look after my little darling. Treat her good. Mm-hmm. Don't eat our snacks. Uh, no, eat our snacks. We don't need our snacks. You don't need your snacks? Send me your snacks. They're not vegan. They're what? snacks. I like to- <laughs> Vegans don't snack. No, they're like fudge stripes. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're fine. like anti-snacks. But I, they're-, they're normal people snacks. <laughs> the antithesis of snacks. <laughs> of at least vegan snacks. I just like having them around. They'll hold them. Sometimes I like hearing them crinkle. I do. It's nice. And they have good packaging. (laughs) They smell nice. You just go. (sighs) I don't believe in uh, much, much myself (laughs) or this podcast. (laughs) But I don't believe in like, you know, forced labor for like animal products and um, consumption in animal agriculture. Are you talking about like elf rights? No, I'm talking about uh, animal rights. I thought you were talking at the Keebler factory. Well, okay. You were like, specifically, I have a problem with fudge stripes. (laughs) They are anti-vegan. Elves should not be made to work in those conditions. No. In one tree. One tree. That's it. It makes no sense. The space. In a shoe? The OSHA regulations. Oh, yeah. We know they were working throughout the pandemic, too. Like, it was not good over there. Mm -hmm. Um, But every time I go to, like, the cracker and cookie aisle Mm -hmm. of a grocery store... I walk through it, and the whole time I'm like, I just really want to buy those Cheez-Its. Not to eat them, but to like Jesus feel mm-hmm. like something, anything. Is it fake cheese, though? Can you just eat it? No. it's Well, it doesn't even, it's not even that it's fake cheese. I think it's got like, you know, other stuff in it that will give me the tummy ache. Mm. It's got milk derivatives. Yeah, it's not good for you. Yeah. It's the reason why it's called a snack. Yeah. Snacks aren't supposed to be good. Except for me. But she's a whole dang meal. That's what's up. I'm a Thanksgiving spread. I'm a charcuterie oh, board. you are a Thanksgiving spread. She's the turkey. <laughs> you have those little like turkey legs on your titty. Yes. Oh, my God. The little, the little what the shoes. What are those? Little shoes. I don't know. Where are they going? They do look like little dolly shoes. Just like on a turkey. Okay. Well, I read that okay. you can take your turkey mm-hmm. through TSA. <gasps> but I can't take my shampoo. <laughs> They're making an exception. Joe Biden. (laughs) Fucking Joe Biden. 
said, yes, it is okay to take your turkey through TSA, to which I'm like, well, that's where I'd put all my drugs, my bombs, my knives. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> my witchcraft? Yes. All of it would be in the turkey. Oh, my God. But also, like, what's the ice situation? Hmm. Can you bring all the ice with the turkey? Because wouldn't that become a liquid at some point? But I can't bring shampoo. It's it's honestly it's um it's anti woman. Mm-hmm. Um, by being anti Tresemme, you're anti woman. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it's a little bit racist. I can't tell you why, but I'm sure other people could tell you why that are smarter than me. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But you know what? I just always check a bag. That's really yeah. Well, this is a up. recent development, right? This year, yeah. This year is my fuck it. I'm going to check a bag year. She's no regrets except coming back from Copenhagen. Big regrets. But you know what? They boned me. How? What happened? They paid for a ticket where I could have a checked bag going to Copenhagen, but a ticket where I could not have a checked bag going back to the United States. Are you sure you were not? actually a drug mule <laughs> and i just needed to bring things there yeah they were like Drop here's your off. ticket wink a wink uh tsa pre-check wink and i just handed off to some dude with a sweater that's all of them mm-hmm. they all wear sweaters can't, can't tell us apart no not at all lots of white blonde people and that's okay but a lot of them mm-hmm. a lot of them so, yeah, so I had to buy a checked bag thing, which I was like, okay, I know I'm going to have to do it. $120 to check my bag, which could not fit carry on because I used my biggest bag. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of things to do on that trip. Mm-hmm. And I just had to be like, okay. And, of course, when you're paying, it's like in Danish kroner. So you're like, I don't know what unseasonable number this yes, is. Yes, oh, my God. Some kind of 800 DKK kind of thing. I'm like, okay, well, I hope for the best. And then I converted it afterwards because it's like I have no choice, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, fuck. Well, I want to commend you. Thank you. On um, not surviving that trauma. <laughs> Thank you. And also God. elevating yourself to a kind of person that checks a bag mm-hmm. and hires someone to watch their cat instead of asking their friends I really think that 30 looks good on you, babe. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I figured all my friends had other things to do. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we'll see who's around for Christmas. I don't know. Hmm. I love Christmas in New York. It's pretty. I, it's, it's cold. It's super it's pretty. Cold. I yeah. feel like the, you know, the decorations, the Macy's, like, mm-hmm. get me on it. The Fifth Ave, yeah. You know what I'm realizing just now? Is that I'm going to be... One of the only people in my friend group in New York for Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. Which means I could go to the Macy's Thanksgiving parade. <gasps> I have no obligations. That sounds crazy, though. Are you going to do it? What you if should. I do it? Me and you Dolly, do we it. go. I take Dolly in her little backy pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She'll not want to stand for the whole time. It's going to be cold, though. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be so She'll cute? wave to, like, the Carmel High School, like, band. The marching band. And be like, <gasps> oh, you're still Hey, what's there? up? <laughs> You too someday will escape your hometown. Maybe. Hopefully. Depends how this trip goes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you should totally go. I would like love to, but I went to one pride parade in New York. Hours. It lasted hours. Like five hours. Why did you stay the whole time? I thought it would end. Oh. And it just kept going. 
It was like every gay person in New York was there. <laughs> in that fucking parade, everyone had their own float. Every it was the wildest thing I've gets ever a, seen. Gets a fucking e-invite. <laughs> gets an Eventbrite like, invitation. Fucking what? Five million of them mm-hmm. all lined up. I was like, this has to end eventually. And then it didn't. And I was like, I'm fucking hungry. <laughs> so I left. I didn't even wait till the end. It was still going. That's crazy. It was. This Tubi is great. This Tubi's great. This Tubi's awesome. I love this. Tubi time. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Cheers to that, baby. Mm-hmm. We don't have a witch yes cheers. Fucking so mote it be. So mote it be. It's very scary. <laughs> so mote it be. It's final. It is. It's like, that's it. That's a wrap. We're done. What about... Pack up. Satan. No, that's not right. What about... What else do we have? We Nothing. have to have something better than that. Nothing. Goo. Goo. That's not a good cheers. It is. Goo. <laughs> hey, goo. Oh, my God. That and sounds then fun, right? We're kicked out of the Red Robin. That's okay. All right. Well, goo. You're too good for the Red Robin. Goo to you. And a goo to everyone here with mm. us today. Even though this will probably be cut. Patreon exclusive. They hate it. They, that's why they keep leaving. That's why they keep leaving. They're like, I thought this would be different. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. All right. I'm going to start it. Mm -hmm. Welcome to Witch Yes, a podcast for casual conjurings, witches in training, and my achy, breaky heart. I'm Alicia Herter. And I'm achy, breaky Tara. Did that song have any other lyrics? Don't tell my heart. Achy, breaky heart. I just don't think he'd understand. And if you tell my heart, my achy, breaky heart, he might just blow up and kill this man. I did do a talent show, Square Dance, to this song that my mom did lead. And in the middle, my my grandfather died. (laughs) (laughs) Of a heart attack. It's the best kind of trauma. (gasps) His achy, breaky heart. (laughs) Exploded. Poor William. Rest in peace, William. I don't know how we're going to top that, so I think we should just keep going. Okay, okay. On today's episode, The Beast, Alistair Crowley, which is in the news and a spell to clear your path in 2022. So before we start, we wanted to shout out the Witches Patreon. So if you are a patron at the $10 level, you can have a shout out of your choice on the podcast. And patron Sumaya is ready to shout out their shout out. Oh my gosh. They're shouting at the top of their lungs. This is a Patreon exclusive. There you go. And I'm channeling it into the episode. Sumaya is using their shout-out opportunity to share the music video for Warning by Band Made. And you can use your shout-out to do anything, as Sumaya just showed you could do. Band Made is a Japanese rock group that combines a hard rock sound with the bandmates, ha-ha-ha, wearing made outfits inspired by Japanese made cafes. This music video is very Mad Max, with the lead singer rocking out on the top of a vintage car. We've dropped the link to the music video in our show notes, so go check it out. It's pretty fucking dope. 
You too can have a shout out. Patreon, which is $10 and above, get access to our close friends list, but also they get um, to use us like some kind of marionette. Oh yeah, Doll. we're like a puppet. Literally, as long as it's not an advertisement, which it's has literally its own like a Jeff list. Dunham skit. It is. <laughs> Except I'm not the racist Chili Pepper Ooh. or the racist uh, Mummy Man. So is Jeff Dunham like canceled? Canceled? I don't know. It's hard to tell because I think he's just faded into obscurity. Are they like it was the puppets that were racist, not Jeff Dunham? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, he had a bad, uh, he had a bad roadie, a bad uh, producer that l- let him get away with this for so long. It's not that Jeff Dunham; he didn't know. No, that's bullshit. He knew. Oh, he's super. He's new. super new. He's There's super no way. New. No, no, no. A white man? Oh, he knew. Doing like a suicide bomber. He puppet? knew. Yeah, that's My crazy. Lord, come on, come on, come on. So. Alicia has come in and um, has honestly has assaulted me with this question, (laughs) which is um, doing a New Year's resolution check-in. I mean, it's the last episode of the year, so we have to check in about the first episode of the year. So I went back and listened, which is our um, Saturn Return episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. First episode of the season. I listened to that little section too. Just just that little section. I didn't fucking give a shit. But the rest. How did the, the no drink... The dry January go. Super bad. <laughs> I lied bad. to my so father. <laughs> I lied to my father's digital face mm-hmm. for an entire month. His little pixels. Mm-hmm. No, I was very bad at it. And then I think after that, I realized, I was like, oh, I have a problem. Oh, well, I mean, in January, the drinking's better in January because it's cold and you mm-hmm. need to get warm. You know what's really funny? Mm-hmm. Is that that first episode, we're talking about the coup. Oh, my God. And we were, were we? like, yeah, we were like, oh. You know, just, uh, just another day coups. in America. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. How dramatic. Let's do a refresher. What was your New Year's resolution? My New Year's resolution was just to do better. And so I was like, OK, compared today to yesterday, did you do something better? Pretty low stakes, guys. Pretty good. But I've been very hard on my resolutions, like mm-hmm. big goals, you know. So I was like, I just need something manageable and uplifting. And I would have to say, I fucking did great. Yeah. I might be like my best self. Yeah. You really are. Yeah. I'm like scary. And this has been nice turning 30. So my dad's sibling did a tarot reading for me. And my whole question, cute little me, 16, you know. Oh, my God. Bangs. Bangs. Side bangs. Uh, Uh, No braces at this time. Braces were freshly off. But, mm -hmm. you know, thick eyeliner on the top and on the bottom. Like, you know, we were looking cute and trashy like indiana style i was like will i be happy (gasps) that was my question oh my god that's so pure thank you right oh pure who i am like in the heart you have to like get through the bullshit but it's in there still there's like that little seed and i was told that the late 20s were gonna be really hard but the 30s were gonna be phenomenal really yeah and Yay. since turning 30, it's like, it's uncharted territory. I don't know what happens after 30. But I'm like, fuck, I made it. You did. I fucking made it. To the phenomenal. Phenomenal. I'm here. And we're just like doing it and we're doing our best as we can. Mm-hmm. And trying to be nice to ourselves, which is very hard. It's extremely hard. Mm-hmm. Especially when you are an overachiever, mm-hmm. someone that... um it's just full of spite and wants to prove everyone wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, and also, you know, someone that is capable of so much. Yeah. So, like, y- you are your own worst critic, mm-hmm. except for me. I'm very hard on you. 
That's a fucking lie. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yay! Yay! Good job! That's great. That's great. Thank you. So, and your New Year's resolution was... Take it to, away. Okay, so... It was a two-parter. It was a two-parter. So I was like, I want to draw 10 hours a week. Did not happen. Okay. Were you, was it close or was In it just no like way a, did okay. I approach that. But I think something that I um, sort of positioned or sort of rotated out of that was being more active in like my sketchbook and not mm-hmm. feeling like I have to show my sketchbook to like my following oh, yeah, all yeah. the time because it, it does create like a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And so like moving into Instagram, like people are always showing these like unrealistic I'm talking about it like it's like a female body but like unrealistic expectations (laughs) for what a sketchbook should be it's like the Kardashian of sketchbook and so I did a lot of watercolor this year and I was like I'm not gonna fucking show anybody this this is just for me oh I love that though I think is what part of what that 10 hours a week was trying to claw it Mm -hmm. and so my other one was like trying to recognize my shadow self and others which is a constant struggle. And I think that was also born out of like at the time I was going through like a very bad friendship situation, which was like very, I don't want to like fully call it unsafe, but it was like not a good situation. It was, it was very bad. Yeah. But I do think that like this has grown into like a desire to create a greater understanding or like maybe a. Um, more empathetic understanding of like why people do things because like nobody's like trying to give someone a hard time usually it's mm-hmm. usually just like people's choices and decisions and how they react to things are like born out of like whatever soup whatever like chunky soup that they're living in mm-hmm. and also like being very forgiving to myself when like I'm having a reaction and I can't create the space between like my reaction and my response mm-hmm. and being like oh why am I feeling this like what is this related to so yeah, so that's where I'm at. I think that like I've taken the core, I've really like sunken into the core of what these are mm-hmm. and moved on from uh, not having to measure myself against 10 hours of drawing a week? Who does that? Someone who only draws. So we're going into our, this is, welcome, the finale of season Speaking of three. pervy old men. Speaking of, <laughs> okay, before we, before we get into that, um, we're going into our holiday break. This is the final episode. Alicia, I'm already drunk. I'm pretty tipsy. We're almost, I'm almost needing a tubi topper. <laughs> um, a tubi twosome? Mm-hmm. So this means that for the month of December, depending on how long this episode is, that Alicia and I are going to go away for a month. We'll be home and we'll be on a break. Yes. So yeah. uh, don't come to us. Patreon is still going to be getting their juicy little morsels like they always mm-hmm, do because we mm-hmm. do love them and, and mama takes care of baby. That is true. So Mama um, always takes care of baby. So just, uh, I just want to say happy Honda days, babes. Yeah, happy holidays. And if you want to do a little holiday gift for your favorite witchy podcast, mm-hmm. you can always rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts or you can join our Patreon. Mm-hmm. And I should say that should be an and or, not an or. Yes. <laughs> you can, you can do both. Or. You can do both. And and or you could also go over to <laughs> RT Public, which has amazing new merch. For the pagan in your life. So, um, Leisha, what are we talking about today? You got anything else? You ready? Oh, I'm ready. Aleister Crowley. Oh! Oh! The beast himself. The beast. I almost said 366. The beast 666. 366. Um, That was his AIM screaming. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because the beast, the 666, was taken and the beast underscore 666 was taken. He's the beast 666 underscore official. Little X, big X. He fucking loves this shit. So going into this episode to start research, what were some of your uh, preconceived notions about Aleister Crowley? So I always heard that like Gerald Gardner, our boy of last season, Mm -hmm. was kind of like, you know, the good. And Aleister Crowley was the bad. Oh, yeah. He was a bad fucking boy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he might still be a bad boy. He's kind of. <laughs> I, I don't know if that, my opinion's changed. <laughs> what, did, what, did, what preconceived notions did you have? I definitely. So he's mentioned at 100% as like a foil to mm-hmm. Gerald Gardner. Where Gerald Gardner is like, I just want to be naked and underneath the moon. And Aleister Crowley is like, I want to be covered in blood (laughs) and beneath the moon. And holding a dagger. And holding a dagger surrounded by naked women. Yeah, exactly. I guess I read some books. He has an autobiography out that I did not read, but I read and listened to audiobooks about his autobiography Mm -hmm. because I was like, if somebody's writing about their own life, there's some, uh, some, some smidgen, some smudgen and uh, some beautification of that lifestyle. So... Uh, I forgot my train of thought because I'm too to be steep. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought there would be maybe more animal sacrifice, maybe more Lovecraftian. Mm-hmm. I was like, when I think about like the like the spectrum of magic, I'm like Sailor Moon is at the top, mm-hmm. and then at the very bottom is Aleister Crowley. And like, if he's not summoning Eldritch demons, what is he doing? I mean, he's trying. He's trying. He's really trying. Really hard. <laughs> So let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Season three wrap up. Woo! So Aleister Crowley, Mm -hmm. born Edward Alexander Crowley. Edward Alexander. October 12th, 1875. Oh, so he's a Libra. Oh, he's a Libra. Okay, interesting. And Astro.com already had a whole chart made up for him Mm. because I'm sure this is one of the most sought after. It's like Kim Kardashian- (laughs) And Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley. That's it. And Oprah. And Oprah. The trifecta, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> That's who we only care about. He's born in Warwickshire, England. So Astro.com said that he was born at 11.42 p.m. And wouldn't you know it, it was also a Tuesday. Mm. So these are the facts you need to know. Wow, today's a Tuesday. What does it mean? What does it mean? Holy shit. And also this is coming out on the day that he... <laughs> no spoilers. Edward, are you here? Edward. One key aspect I want you to keep in mind is that he is a Pisces moon trying to a Scorpio Mercury. Yeah, fucked up. <laughs> so a moon trying to Mercury is the aspect of like a powerful communicator. This is someone who can easily tap into the emotions, both of their own and the emotions of others. But when you add a Piscean moon, which is like the liminal, like the subconscious, like mm-hmm. the dream state, like... Um, beautiful psychic energy and then a Scorpio Mercury which is like passion intentionality like manipulating others for your own gain oh beautiful you can get someone who knows how to effectively manipulate the emotions of those around them to uh, sort of serve their own purpose Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on another note apparently these people are extremely likable ah which I was like god bless Ooh, love that. So other moon trying to Mercury's are Princess Diana. Oh, stunning. We love her. Michael B. Jordan. We love hottie. 
Selena Gomez. Okay, another hottie. OJ Simpson. Ooh, I, and Cher. Okay, we love Cher. So think we about- We came back with Cher. We love Cher. With- <laughs> Do you believe in life after love? <laughs> Alistair Crowley does. <laughs> um, so just think about like that energy of someone that like is able to tap into a very particular kind of- of mythos, but also like psychological state Mm -hmm. to manipulate the system and manipulate people to their own ends. Ooh, okay. But back at it. So baby Eddie Crowley. Baby. Is born to Edward Crowley Sr. and Emily Bishop, two very wealthy and devout Christian fundamentalists. Ooh, fun. We're talking, uh, you're going to button that shirt all the way up to the top. Mm -hmm. There is no masturbating in this household. No. Mm -mm. Their wealth came from Crowley Sr.'s shares in a family brewing business, Crowley Alton's Ales. And I mention this because if you look at Crowley's logo, it features the head of a black crow, which is added to the debate of how you actually pronounce the surname Crowley because people think it's actually Crowley. Mm. And so when you go on like YouTube and stuff, you'll, you'll hear like a bunch of different interpretations of how you say this name so should we say Crowley or Crowley I think that if I become too aware of my mouth sound you don't know what you're saying I don't think I can podcast (laughs) so we're just gonna we're gonna say Crowley and keep going listen he had some ideas about the Jews but they're also British yep so they're like Crowley Crowley which doesn't help us it's it's a fucking garbly gook (laughs) as a mush mouth (laughs) it's a fucking silly language and a silly people Eddie Jr.'s relationship with his father, though strict, seemed to be fairly good. But his mother famously referred to him as the Beast 666, the satanic beast in Revelations. As an inquisitive child, Eddie Jr. would ask his mother a lot of questions about the Bible, about the world, and notably about women's legs. Oh, I mean, the best legs possibly. They are a mystery. I mean, they're like curvy, they're Mm -hmm. thin, Mm -hmm. they're not thin. Mm -hmm. It doesn't fucking matter. They're gorgeous. Short, long. Stunning. And put him in a heel? What what the fuck happened? Exactly. Those calves? Like how he's that like, is? what witchcraft is this? <laughs> this is where it began. <laughs> um, but of course they were always sort of concealed beneath these long skirts. Mm-hmm. Right? Of the time. Of the time, yeah. So his mother replied, Ladies don't have legs. My stupid fucking chubby son. Okay, what do they have? Mom. So when his mother would have dinner parties, Eddie Jr. would disappear underneath the table and then announce to the room that his mother's female guests were definitely not ladies. Because they had legs. Because they had legs. <gasps> Mama, we got a batch full of not ladies here. These are some octopi over here. <laughs> this makes no fucking sense. And also, I feel like... What a fun prank, though. I would think that was hilarious. Yeah. But if I were Emily Bishop... To be embarrassed in oh. front of your female peers. Mm-hmm. That's and a I'm little rich. different. Also, it's like, it's still a little pervy. It's It's weird. This little kid, he's checking him out. Just after Eddie Jr. turns 11, when he's probably worried about like his weird gangly body and his emerging bisexuality, his father, Eddie Sr., dies suddenly from a misdiagnosed tongue cancer. Ew. (laughs) That sucks. It does. Like tongue cancer specifically? Mm Mm-hmm. And you can't just cut off the tongue? That sucks, dude. Yeah. His uncle, who was a strict Christian disciplinarian, saw his nephew and was like, ew, (laughs) and sent him off to boarding school in Cambridge. So now Eddie Jr., he gets to this boarding school and everyone is like, this boy 
he is misbehaving. To which I say, I think this boy is probably going through some intense grief. Yeah. And loss and isolation. Yeah. His dad is dead. Yeah. That's At a least bummer. give him six months to a year. He's got Jesus, though, so he's going to be fine. He just found out that women have legs. This is a revelation. <laughs> One of his classmates goes to the headmaster and says that he's seen Eddie Jr. drunk, which I was like, fucking narc. Yeah, fuck that kid. The headmaster, Reverend Henry DeArch Chapney, sentences little Eddie to Coventry for an entire term where no one is allowed to speak to him or acknowledge him in any way. He is kept on a diet of bread and water as punishment for his indulgence in alcohol. Stephen Ash's biography on Aleister Crowley said even worse, get this, no one told him that this was happening. So from his fucking perspective, he is kidnapped in the middle of the night and no one will talk to him and no one will acknowledge his presence like he's a fucking ghost. Aww. So this abuse and neglect was so severe that Eddie Jr. gets a horrible kidney infection and his family has to pull him out of school or else he's going to fucking die. Oh, Right? Yeah. So around this time... A doctor fucking came in, looked Eddie up and down, and was like, this bitch was going to die. This little hermit thing is going to die. This, li- this you- little grub that you've been keeping. And unless changes are made. So Eddie's uncle who sent him to the the boarding school was now like, maybe he should move to the countryside. Because, you know, that's where we take the sick. We take them to the countryside, <laughs> especially in Britain. We love taking them to the countryside. And so at this point, finally, Eddie was able to move around, run in the fresh air, and have fun for like the first time of his life. So this is when, you know, fucking teenage, coming of age, poof, happens. Oh my gosh, in this moment. In this moment, it begins. So he's like 14, he's like- This is the moment of the rest of his life. Oh my gosh. Yep. So that is not to say that from his like fundamentalist family's perspective, he was not raising hell because Eddie Jr. was like- it's not that he was a bad kid. He's not a bad kid. He's just like into smoking and like drugs and like drinking alcohol. And like he talked about masturbation all the time and like did the masturbation all the time and pointed out like inconsistencies in the Bible, which we already know that if you ask your mom questions, she's going to get mad. Mm-hmm. And then picked up sex workers so often that he ended up with gonorrhea. So you have to remember like his uncle is not his parents. So his uncle was really encouraging his behavior and was like, come to the pub, even though you're underage. And his uncle even hired a prostitute so that Eddie could just lose his virginity at 15. He was like, you know what? If the big one's the one you're afraid of, just lose it. All right. So between shots of Tubi, your boy was exploring who he was as a person and was known for being an excellent chess player, a poet, and an avid mountain climber. Which, like, throughout his life, and we're going to get into this later, like, he checked off some firsts. Like, he broke some records. Like, this is not just, like, a little facet. Like, he's like, oh, I'm into crochet. It's interesting because you're, like, excellent chess player, not sexy. Poet, not sexy. Mountain climber. You're like, oh, oh, hi. He's got strong hands. Oh, my God. That grip on that boy. Your calluses. Oh, are you a man, man? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. When Eddie returned home after staying at his uncle's house for, you know, a few years... He rejected all of the fundamentalist teachings that he had grown up with. His perspective became very Satanist, actually, and he hated that everything that's fun in life made you a sinner. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, all of it makes you a sinner, you know? Eddie's mother, of course, was not happy about this. 
And since his mother kept calling him the Beast of Revelations, Eddie decided to really take that to heart. He's like, you call me the Beast? You're going to get the Beast. <laughs> get ready for the horns, babe. Get ready, mama. He had sex with their maid in his mother's bed just to spite his mom. That's hilarious. Mom, of course, fired the maid. And since her reputation was ruined, the maid could no longer find work. So this becomes a sad story. Eddie claims, though, that the maid was actually the first of Jack the Ripper's victims. Although that has not been verified. <laughs> Your heart. You're like, this took a dark, dark I have turn. To, I have to hit my heart monitor. I'm so upset. <laughs> my heart palpitations. That's so sad. So there is a very interesting perspective when looking at the life of Aleister Crowley is, you know, we're seeing where he comes from and like, it's not like it was smooth sailing in his childhood or anything, but it does kind of seem like anyone he comes into contact with doesn't necessarily have a great time after meeting him. Mm-mm. Like it, it's not the best. So you'll see this as like a recurring theme in his life. So it's like, does he attract Crazy, emotionally unstable people, or does he like bring it out of them? Mm-hmm. So that's like, like a, the major question. A bad omen, yeah, of some kind. Is he a bad influence? Is he the guy you shouldn't be hanging out with? That your mom said don't hang out with these kids, or was that already inside of you, and you're just able to have it come out because Crowley's around, and isn't he fun? Isn't he fun? Because he he's fun? got that moon tried to Mercury. He's fun. We like him. All right, so in 1895, Eddie Jr. finally gets his inheritance from his yeah. dead dad. Yeah, here we go, Eddie. And he started classes at Trinity College, Cambridge. And he says, he says, new year, new me. Sorry, Eddie Jr. can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because he's dead. <laughs> you could call me Alistair Crowley. Name change. It's hello, hello. So it's at this time. He has two big things happen to him. One, he's introduced to the British consular staff in Ireland, which awakens his lifelong interest in being a person who influences the world. Ooh, good. <laughs> just like if this had never happened, Alistair Crowley would have just been a fucking weirdo who liked to climb rocks. Yep, exactly. And two, he has his first gay sexual encounter with a Scotsman. And in his autobiography, he writes about it through the realm of like magic, describing it as like, Honor, pain, ghostly terror, yet at the same time, it was the key to the purest spiritual ecstasy, which tells me that Aleister Crowley is a bottom. There's debates to that, though. Really? So the bottom thing, yeah, because the guy he was hooking up with Mm -hmm. did drag. Right. So we don't know. But that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean anything. But But that doesn't mean what you say and what doesn't mean anything. But he was also very into BDSM later, and he... And there are... I'm sure he was a bottom at first and then he like graduated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it became like a power thing. Mm-hmm. Every bottom eventually becomes a top. And then... <laughs> Through down, time. <laughs> downgrades to a bottom. Again. Because they're like, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. A year later, he's like, I'm going to travel to Russia to practice being a glamorous queer diplomat. Okay. And it turns out, have you heard, Mm-mm. that being a diplomat in Russia is not fun. Mm. Not even... In 1897, it's a bad time. That makes sense. This is when Alistair makes an important pivot. He decides, one, that Russia sucks. Two, that the fastest and coolest way to exact change in the world is through cultural influence, not political influence. Oh, okay. He's going to Kardashian them up. 100%. Okay. At this time, which is 1898, 
Eurasia, particularly France and Russia, were obsessed with this magic and mysticism business. Mm. So Alistair ends up in contact with the esoteric author, Arthur Edward Waite. I know this is going to be a lot of names. It doesn't matter. Just get the get the essence. Yeah. He's meeting people. He's schmoozing. Yeah. Shaking hands. Exactly. Kissing Suck, cheeks. Sucking dicks. Yeah. And Arthur Edward Waite tells him to study Keith von Eckerthausen and his translation of the book Cloud Upon the Sanctuary. This book describes, and I quote, an invisible school of esoteric masters whose concealed hand guides the historical development of world affairs. It's fucking an Illuminati. Ooh. So Marjorie Taylor Greene would say, oh, that's the evil Jewish people, and we must destroy their Illuminati shadow government. And Aleister Crowley says the thing that I think everyone else would say, which is, that sounds cool as fuck. Well, where do I fucking join? <laughs> Give me in on this business, this 4-H camp. Like every fucking Mason temple. He's like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm yes, in. Yes, yes, He's like pounding on the door. Why <laughs> in? They're like set up in the fucking like school gymnasium, like their little table and shit. And you just go from table to table signing up for their extracurriculars. Oh my God. Yeah. And they're like, listen, little Alistair, your grades are plummeting, but you are an amazing a lacrosse player. You're a great communicator and you can do good here. And that's where it all begins. Oh, okay. So through wait, Alistair meets Julian Baker, who points him towards Cecil Jones, who points him towards like this magical secret society called the Order of the Golden Dawn. Now the Order was co-founded by Samuel L. Mathers, who Alicia's going to get into it, but Mathers and him just have a bad relationship. <laughs> they fucking hate each other. <laughs> now I just want to do like a quick aside. So... Like I said, Alicia's about to get into like his time in the order. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of famous, influential folks in the Golden Dawn. And none of them you would have heard of unless you're like super into the occult. But one in particular is the mystic Charles Allen Bennett. In 1899, Bennett approaches Alistair asking if he's been dabbling with the Goetta, which are like these hollow shells of demonic form. And Alistair is like, no, ne me? Demons? Me? No, no. And Bennett is like, well, the Guetta have definitely been dabbling with you. And then they did that thing where they like looked across the room and they were like, are we best friends? And they kissed. And they kissed. <laughs> no, they had no, there was no uh, romantic relationship between the two. But Bennett was severely asthmatic and terribly poor. And upon finding this out, Alistair invites him to come live with him in his fucking fancy penthouse, like dead dad money apartment. Hell yeah. And Crowley stands will point to this as proof of how generous he was because there's several times throughout his life where he's like, hello, poor little gentleman who is very spooky. Come and stay in my spare room. And when it starts to become apparent that Bennett cannot stay in the UK because like there's not enough country for him to get well. <laughs> it's just all smokestacks and smog. 100%. At this point, yeah, it's very like, sweetie Todd. Like, I'm afraid of, I can't handle all of this. Timothy Grass, Crowley and his lover at the time bankrolled Bennett's trip to the East where he discovered Buddhism and Bennett is actually credited with creating the British Buddhism movement and he brought Buddhism to the West. What? So like if Aleister Crowley had not been like come stay in my spare room it's possible that Buddhism never would have made it to the West. So that's one good thing that happened to one person Aleister Crowley met. Yes. He didn't <laughs> die and then started a yoga cult. Well... Those to me are a little, Ooh, I don't know. A little? Okay, so Alicia, tell us. Crowley took the order of the Golden Dawn's teachings very seriously. The order wanted its new members to get in touch with their inner soul before getting to the real, like, magic part. 
he was here for the magic part, of course. So, of course, cue the yoga, cue the philosophical discussions, cue the dream journaling and interpreting. He was like, all right, I'm going to do the work. I need to level up. They were able to do some magic, though, like calling upon angels. Crowley was super fucking into this, and he wanted to find his guardian angel. This is where he added, like, magic mushrooms and other psychedelic drugs because he felt if he could use these mind-enhancing drugs then he'd have a better chance of connecting to his guardian angel, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As we all think. Honestly. Uh, this sounds real to me. This checks out. I'm here for spiritual experience. The others of the Golden Dawn did not actually like Crowley. They really, like, did not like him. Yeah. Like, they really, they hated him. <laughs> he seems like a bit much. Yeah, he was like, he was a lot. And he came into them with a fake name, not even Alistair Crowley. He had another fake name and was just like, oh, yeah, I'm like high society, blah, blah, blah. And then... He eventually was like, okay, I'm not. And so they were like, we don't fucking trust you. I don't fucking know who you are. Anodelia Distabar. Exactly. And so the Golden Dawn was also filled with like aristocrats. You know, people who could have money to think about ideas of witchcraft and like not have to work a job. And Crowley's like own ideas were a little too like black magic for what they wanted. And, you know, last of all, the Golden Dawn really thought if Crowley could rise through the ranks and harness his version of magic or just magic, then he would probably use the magic for evil. He is the Joker. He's like, they're like, (laughs) I think he will use what we have in a bad way. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting my guardian angel is whispering into my left ear and saying, this man is going to make a sex cult. Uh-huh. Oh. Or like, you know, just that pit in your stomach and you're like, I don't, this guy though, mm-hmm. this guy, I don't trust this guy. In 1899, a 24-year-old Crowley purchased a house called Bullskin House on the shore of Loch Ness in Scotland. He bought it for the sole reason of performing a spell in the house called the Abermelon Ceremony. However, the spell did not fucking work. That's like 80% of my spells. Exactly. Crowley's in it every single fucking day until he became tired. Then no angels, demons, ghosts, anything. Nothing appeared. I'm out of camp. Not even the maid with lunch. No one appeared. <laughs> no one was here. So eventually he just stopped trying. However, since he stopped doing the ritual, many people thought that he must have left a portal to hell open for demons to get in and live in his house. So many, many, many years later, so think future now, Jimmy Page, the lead guitarist of Led Zeppelin, bought the house and claimed that Crowley's demons were still haunting the house. That's insane. Oh, my God. Isn't that fucking crazy? And now we've hit the turn of the century. In 1903, Crowley met Rose Edith Kelly, very beautiful woman, and they eloped. Before this, Rose was a widow by the age of 25 after a two-year-long marriage. There was actually, like, no foul play. However, her husband was 15 years older than her and in the Royal Army Medical Corps. So there's no information about how he actually died, but he was close to 40 and working with six people in the early 1900s, so probably has to do with that. Oh, my God. Like, tuberculosis written all over it. The fact that he was in his 40s at all (laughs) was a fucking miracle, you know? Rose was about to be in an arranged marriage through her parents when she met Crowley, so he convinced her to elope with him. Because that's fucking romantic as hell, you know? I also heard the other guy fucking sucked. Ooh, okay. They eloped on August 11th, 1903, and were married the following day. 
With a dramatic elopement, they were already deemed to be a very fun and wild couple. So the two decided to go to Cairo for their honeymoon. Oh, the dream. The dream. Give me that. uh, Oh, wait, this is before. When did they discover the Valley of the Kings? That was like 1810 or 1910. Fucking Rose at any moment could have tripped over a slab and unlocked King Toon Commons. That did not happen this time. But, you know, eight years later, seven years later, then that happens. Crowley thought, you know. I am a man of commitments who has a beautiful wife, and now I will show her my true colors. So he brought her to this very dark Egyptian cave (laughs) and tried to summon the Egyptian god Horus. Specifically, he read from the book Goetta, the Lesser Key of Solomon. He read the book with his usual, like, vibrato when Rose's head, like, fell back. No. And she went into, like, a light trance. Yeah. Rose claimed that during this, she had a vision and heard the voice of Horus. So our new husband, Crowley, was actually kind of pissed off at this. Oh, I would be too. He spent all this fucking time trying to talk to a god or a demon or an angel or a monster or a ghost or a fucking ancestor. He doesn't even fucking care. And his new fucking wife talks to someone in the spiritual world. Like, how fucking bullshit is this? I would be such bullshit. Livid. And he was. So he was really put off and he kept being like, don't joke about that, babe. Don't fucking joke about that. That's not funny. But Rose was adamant. She said she saw something and Crowley had no choice but to take her to a museum and ask her to point out which god she saw in her vision. Rose immediately walks up to the image of Horus and points to him saying, that's it, bitch. This is the motherfucker I saw. No. Mm -hmm. And what really shocked Crowley was that the image of Horus was located at the exhibit number... 666. The beast. 666. But, you know, Crowley's head is fucking spinning. Like, oh my God. <laughs> fucking brain blasting like Jimmy Neutron. A hundred fucking We percent. are in space. Galaxies. Galaxies. After this museum jaunt, Crowley and Rose went back to their hotel and probably had like the best sex ever, honestly. Oh my God. God sex. Oh my God, God sex. Demon sex. And afterwards talked about the vision. Rose said that Horace had given her instructions on how to communicate with the spirit world, and she even gave Crowley a specific ritual to perform. He performed it immediately, and he heard a whisper over his shoulder from the voice of his guardian angel named Iwas. Iwas instructed him to write down all of this information over the course of three days, and Crowley published his first book called The Book of the Law. Crowley took the Book of the Law and his new experiences back to the Order of the Golden Dawn and hoped that they would promote him within their group. Like, that's really all he wants. He just wants more power. Mm-hmm. That's really what he mm-hmm. wants. And he wants fucking Mathers. And he wants more magic. And he, wa- he wants more magic. Mm-hmm. He wants more access to demons. Mm-hmm. He wants more cool fucking robes. Mm-hmm. And um, he wants prestige. Yeah, for sure. They, however, thought he was mad and made up all of this fucking shit and refused to give it any more consideration. Pissed. Crowley went to the Order of the Golden Dawn in the Paris chapter. He was like, I'm fucking over this country. I'm going to a different country. The leader of the Paris chapter was like, yeah, this all checks out to me. If you say you heard this and you have a witness, I mean, I don't know how to dispute this, honestly. And Crowley went back to London with a very fancy piece of paper saying that he should be able to go up the next level of the Golden Dawn. His London chapter, however... Still didn't want him to go to the next level because they thought he sucked. It's like, why promote someone when you don't like them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I fucking get that, you know? Like, we get that. So Crowley snuck into their clubhouse and changed all the locks, which seems very childish, but, you know. This is 
honestly this is the revenge this is the revenge level that i've always dreamed of oh it's petty this is some real housewives of britain level Mm -hmm. you know big Ange coming in real housewives of the golden dawn he locked himself inside their clubhouse and laughed at them when they couldn't get inside because you know he fucking changed the locks after that alistair crowley was officially kicked out of the order of the golden (laughs) dawn (laughs) he was done back here (laughs) he was fucking done so I read um, the Book of the Law. Okay. Cover to cover. The, the little scrawls of the, the Book well, of the had Law. Well, they had a typed written oh, okay, version. Okay, good. If, you were on the, if you're on the close friends list, you'll, you'll find that I, uh, I did originally find the handwritten version of the Book of the Law. And it's fucking nonsense. And it then like I found nothing. You can't even read no. it. And then I went to the typed version, and it is also nonsense. So if I were a fucking stuffy-ass British magician, and I read this, I'd be like, this man is making fun of me. <laughs> this man is mocking me, isn't he? It's, it's truly... I would encourage anyone that has like a passing interest in Aleister Crowley just read the first few pages and there are so many thou's wilt and like amongst and like it is close to unreadable it is so bad crazy and I've read Gerald Gardner's writing which is also very bad these men can't write they can't no in 1905 Rose gave birth to their first daughter Lilith or officially Nuitma Ahathor Hecate Sappho Jezebel Lilith And for a few brief months, Crowley was still a weirdo, but more of a domestic one. He wrote a collection of pornographic stories called Snowdrops from a Curate's Garden and opened a publishing house to publish his own poetry, which he named the Society for the Propagation of Religious Truth. His poetry received high praise, but never actually sold well. Much like my career. Oh, that's sad. Later in 1905, Crowley took a few friends on a hiking expedition up Mount Kanchakwanga in the Himalayas. I hope that's how you say it. I don't really know. He ended up angering most of the hikers who thought Crowley was reckless, and they decided to mutiny against Crowley and began hiking down the mountain after nightfall just to get away from him. And Crowley was kind of like, don't hike down a mountain at night. (laughs) You dummies. That's fucking bad, dude. (laughs) But they really hated him. Mm -hmm. So they were like, we want as much distance as possible, so we will go down in the night. And as you can guess, several of them died while trying to hike down. And Crowley was blamed for this in the mountaineering community. It's not his fault. I mean, they hated him so much. They just wanted to get away from him. I think that's kind of his fault. He's a bad leader. There is an accusation that when the group left Crowley, Crowley went into his tent and tried to summon a demon. That is not real. I I don't know, though. This guy. This guy. (laughs) At that point, an avalanche actually fell down and hit the other hikers. It is said that Crowley wrote about the incident many years later and said that he had zero sympathy for their mutiny and did not regret leaving them to fend for themselves, which is kind of metal. That's... Like, uh, it sucks that you almost died. I washed my hands of this. Mm-hmm. And then in 1906, Crowley's daughter died of typhoid and his relationship with Rose became severely strained. Yeah. Oh my god they eventually had another daughter again in 1907 named lola zaza which that's kind of cute it's lola a very zaza. cute name but there was much adultery in their relationship mainly from you guessed it crowley the relationship tanked pretty fast from there in 1909 rose and crowley divorced and in 1911 crowley placed rose in a mental institution for alcohol dementia holy shit 
Things did get better for Rose, though. She ended up marrying someone else in 1912 and died later in, like, the 1930s. So she still had a good few years left in her. This did not make or break her, but... After she got out of the mental institution. Yeah. My God. Crowley, of course, was not a good dad to Lola. When Rose went to an asylum, he left her in the care of boarding schools and nannies and for the most part kept her out of his life. Did he learn nothing? He probably just sent a card. I mean, his dad died so young. Did he know anything? Also, at this point, men didn't care if they had girls. That's fair. So. Not that it's fair, but it's true. It's true. It's not fair. And it's very unfair and it's unjust. Very unfair. Mm-hmm. Around this time, Crowley started a cult called the Lima, where he began teaching the book of the law to others. But, you know, teaching it in that very, like, would teach the Bible kind of way. Very enthusiastic, very cult-like. Mm-hmm. There's no other option sort of feeling. <laughs> um, so the Lima, which we did just do, uh, many YouTube searches to figure out how to pronounce it. So this is the one that we're going with. And if it's not this one. We don't care. We don't really we don't care. care. And do not leave us a review telling us so. The Lima has three main points that come from the book of the law. So the first one is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Mm-hmm. Every man and every woman is a star, which oh, beautiful, preach stunning, it. stunning. Love is the law, love under will. So we're going to get into that. It's all going to make sense in a second. So the book of the law is written in three parts. First, introduced by the goddess Nuit, the goddess of the night sky, also known as the queen of space. Oh, gorgeous. Just sounds like the world's best album. Yeah. Her consort, Hadith, the flame that burns in every heart of man, which I think means like the inner self. Okay. Sexy. <laughs> if anything, it's sexy. And then Heru Raha, the god of war and vengeance. Also sexy. To Crowley, we were coming out of an eon of Osiris, which is like an eon ruled by paternalistic religion. So like Islam, Christianity, Judaism, like all of these like hard, like the father oh, is like yeah. the heart, like the pinnacle of the pyramid of life. And then moving into an eon of Horus, which is like an eon where humans took control of their own destiny. I wonder why he's interested in Horus. Mm -hmm. He named himself the prophet of the eon of Horus. Like his job is to come here and profess. Like, That's so funny. Like this British man with no Egyptian genealogy (laughs) is like, actually, no, Horus speaks through me. (laughs) This like white guy from the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. Sure, Crowley, whatever you want. Now, Thelema centers around the idea that every human has a divine purpose on this plane of existence and that our one life should be spent seeking that desire. He calls this, quote, true will. And this will isn't just like your everyday desires, though it can include like your desire to see Adele live or have a 30-person orgy. This will is divinely inspired, gifted to you, and the order of the universe is reliant on you adhering to this will. Like this, mm. everybody following their own particular wills is like what keeps this whole system working. It makes the sun go round, makes the sky move, it makes the plants and the flowers doth grow. Only you can be you, bitch. <laughs> exactly. That whole like mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. It's like kind of satanic in the sense that like it's all about like the modern definition of Satanism. So Mm -hmm. it's like you adhering and seeking your own like hedonistic desires, like going and moving in towards the best good. Which is so funny because like later in life, he would be like, I have nothing to do with Satanism. I don't Mm -hmm. believe Satan is real and everything. And it's like 
literally tick, 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 tick. This is exactly what Satanists say. 100%. Like modern day Satanists think the same thing mm-hmm. as what Aleister Crowley did, even though Crowley was like, I'm not a Satanist. And But also modern day <laughs> Satanists do not... Uh, ad- like attach themselves to Crowley like all of the people that run the Church of Satan are like Crowley who like I don't have anything to do with this man which I'm like if you read a single fucking book y'all are the same person exactly the same fucking person and here's a big thing is that your will cannot interfere with another person's will or else it's not your true will mm-hmm. when you are centering yourself within your own divine will we are like stars so they're pinpoints of light in life that create order in our own special solar systems. Mm-hmm. And a big part of it is like, stars are not fucking with other stars. No. Unless they are. They can't because they They're, run into each other. Exactly, exactly. And then love is like this energy that seems to bind all of this together and keeps our stars bright and our will divine, which is very interstellar of them. Mm-hmm. But our divine will comes before love. So like your purpose in life comes before like the love of any one person, any one place, any one thing. So it's like elevating like you are drawn and moved to like seek this thing out. Mm-hmm. Um, but have you ever seen Interstellar? No. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you would like it because it does have uh, like space horror in it in mm-hmm. the sense of like infinity of space and there is a black hole in it. <gasps> but like not in like a we're going to die into the black hole, more like the black hole is like creating like a space time like continuum issue. That movie came out the same time as that other one with uh, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney and I chose to watch the other one. I mean, fair choice. Uh, I mean, Sandra Bullock is like a national treasure. She is. We have to protect her. She's so good. She got cheated on. It's really good. So in Interstellar, they talk mm-hmm. about love as being like this um, trans-dimensional force. Like we think about like what is the fourth dimension and like it's pretty much understood and accepted that the fourth dimension is time because mm-hmm. it's like how we move through like universe yeah exactly and that like we experience this force or this dimension as time but like what is love a thing that like does not actually help us survive or like it can lead us into trouble and it can kill us that like love could be like a different kind of energy or a different dimension that like attaches us to like people across space and across time Mm -hmm. because you can love someone that has died and that does not serve you in any way Mm. so it must have like this non-evolutionary purpose to it that's beautiful though isn't it and so like i think that like that has like a weight inside like thelema and thelemanistic practices so the rituals and magics spelled with a k Mm. that make up thelemic organizations were borrowed heavily from the order of the golden dawn in Ordo Templi Orientis. Mm-hmm. And these rituals heavily inspired Gerald Gardner, the father of modern Wicca. It's all connected. Oh, shit. I'm fucking Charlie Day. I'm connecting the strings. Yeah. One such ritual is the practice of sex magic, which Crowley did a great deal of research in. Research. Research. So definitely go and check out our sex magic episode, unless you are my mom, to which... I would say, a don't. Yeah, no. Don't do that, Tammy. But the general idea is that the energy created during sexual activity, whether that's like solo or with a partner or partners, can be used to create physical change in the universe and then stir into the orgy soup the sentiment of like divine will. This thelemic wank fest is just going to get fucking spicier. Wank fest. (laughs) Now, (laughs) I'm not over that stupid (laughs) word. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so Thelemites today and Thelemites of Crowley's time had a very different experience, right, Alicia? Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about <laughs> the Wankfest. The Wankfest that continued on into the 1920s where Crowley started a commune in a villa in Italy that he called the Abbey of Thelema. The only rule of the villa was that, you know, Anything fucking goes. Drugs, orgies, doing whatever you want whenever you want was highly encouraged. You could wear clothes. You could not wear clothes. I don't fucking care. What do you want to do? There's even a room in the villa called the Nightmare Room where Crowley drew macabre images on the wall and then encouraged his followers to take LSD and stare at the frightening pictures until they no longer felt fear. What? (laughs) Literally, Tara's worst fear. Oh, my God. (laughs) It does sound really awful, actually. Those are not chocolate chips. They're not chocolate chips. Crowley's Italian neighbors did not like this. Yeah, I fucking imagine. They fucking hated this. Loud, naked, probably annoying as hell. Like, let's be real. It's probably fucking awful over there. You just, you see a dick. You don't want to see a dick. It's fucking 11 a.m. I don't want to see a dick. You know? We are on our way to second breakfast. I'm not ready. I only have one coffee. This is not a moray. What are you doing? There's no pizza here. It was said that the rituals became more and more intense over time, to the point that the members participated in animal sacrifice and bestiality. One woman even went back to Britain and sold her story to the fucking press, saying that Crowley made them drink the blood of a dead cat and then cut themselves with razors every time they used the word I. Like, I want this, cut yourself. You oh know, my it's God, like, because we are we? We're a we. We're a unit. We're a thing. We're a we're a moving organism. We're that, not an I. There's no I here. Why are you thinking just of yourself? Oh my god. I know. Is that fucking crazy? That's fucking culty as shit. That's so culty. The Italian authorities who are just like fucking waiting. <gasps> they just wanted anything. They bust them immediately and disbanded the Abbey and forbade anyone from returning. And the Abbey of Thelema is still abandoned to this day in Italy. And many people believe that it's fucking incredibly haunted. And there's a lot of like a pictures attached to our documents, you know, some 666, some pentagrams, some like, I don't know, a cross and like a house. It's just, you know, I'm sure people came in and graffitied it afterwards, but mm-hmm. it looks pretty fucking gross. And you can still go to it in Italy. And as you can tell by now, Crowley was a bit of a worldly man, and despite his many setbacks, he still wanted to travel the world to spread his message. He visited the United States finally and met up with two infamous men, one being rocket scientist Jack Parsons. So Jack was like, he's pretty hot. He's a hot looking dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rocket scientist Jack Parsons. And he was very well. Oh, she found him. Oh, he's a cutie. Madam. I'm like, oh, sir. Okay. Hi, People Jack. Are like young Stalin. Nobody's ever talking about Jack Parsons. Exactly. He was very well respected in the aerospace community at that time. And I mean, he was, and then he wasn't, mostly because he became a Thelemite. Mm. And that lessened his credentials. Like once you meet Aleister Crowley, your, your life and your progression normally doesn't go up. The next person, it will go up, but normally it doesn't. And then when McCarthyism came about, because you've got to think, this is still the early 1900s in the U.S. right now. Jack was accused of espionage and ousted from the rocket community. Like, no way in. We're not allowing you. You're a fucking communist. You know, we don't give a fucking flying fuck. 
I mean, look at that little mustache. I mean, he was hot, dude. I gotta say, he was fucking hot. He got a nice job, baby. Jack ended up dying in 1937 in a home laboratory explosion. Oh, the bummer. police say it was an accident, although it garnered national attention because it's a fucking home laboratory explosion. Of course it would. And many believe that it could have been a homicide. Allegedly. By who? The government oh, or know. by the fucking... Order. By, by the Thelemites, by the government, by himself. Who knows? Who knows? Crowley also visited Jack's buddy, L. Ron Hubbard of Scientology. <gasps> oh. Ooh. Everyone's fucking like, connected. Everyone's, fucking everyone's connected. connected. Isn't this crazy? Like, Aleister Crowley has such a life to so many people. They were like, yeah, he used to fuck the Buddhism. guy that invented, L. Ron Hubbard. like, boom, boom, boom. Like the little clamp for rock climbing. <laughs> Honestly, I would be surprised if L. Not L. Ron Hubbard. I would be surprised if Aleister Crowley had not fucking talked to the Clintons. <laughs> he probably talked to your fucking ancestors. He probably did. So Jack and Ron were buddies until Jack began cheating on his wife with her sister. And then that sister went to have an affair with L. Ron Hubbard. Ruh-roh. Super fucking messy, you guys. So messy. Allegedly, Crowley taught Ronnie Boy and Jack sex magic, and Crowley can be recognized as the guy who told all of his friends about sex magic, which, of course, is why sex magic is still a part of the world today, because Aleister Crowley went and, like, blabbed his mouth about it. <laughs> Fucking told everyone. He's like, yo, you know if you come, but if you manifest, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to get all that money. You get a wish. You get a wish. <laughs> You've been wishing on wishing stars this whole time. That's fucking kid shit. That's kid shit. You Let get come you in your eye shit. and then you get a big wish. Exactly. By the late 1920s, Crowley's drug use finally reached up to him. Because, you know, he'd been taking psychedelic drugs. He'd been trying a little this, a little of that. What's cocaine? I don't know. It's in Coca-Cola. Does it really fucking matter? And he was literally a full-blown heroin addict at this time. Mm-hmm. And not like, you know, just doing a little heroin on Wednesdays. Like, I'm doing heroin all the fucking time, literally knocking on the door to death. It's going to come and get me at any fucking point. And to make matters worse, Crowley was struggling with his finances yet again. So the inheritance money is up. Mm-hmm. The cult money is up. He's not He's not really, uh, he's not good at budgeting, I would say. <laughs> he's really bad at budgeting. And having a, a job. There's no 401k. There's no IRA. He's like, Come into the cult. He probably enlists a one-time fee, but then if they're, like, living in the same building, like, you're paying for them to be there, to feed them, to mortgage, the electricity, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if there's electricity. There might not be electricity back then. I don't fucking know. I was born in 1991. I don't know anything. So in 1932, to make money, Crowley opened several court cases with journals and newspapers saying that they were writing libel about him being a black magician. I love this tactic. He's like, fuck you guys. How dare you slander my beautiful, precious fake name? You know? (laughs) The court cases did not go well for Crowley because he had always proudly stated that, yes, I am a black magician. They had, like, proof. They were in documents. They were in the books he fucking wrote. They were like, I have a fucking laundry list of times. You said you were interested in black magic. Okay, it's with a K. <laughs> Fuck off, you know, sort of thing. This court case did not help his financial situation at all because he lost all of them. And in 1932, Crowley declared bankruptcy and it was discovered that he had been spending three times his income for several years, which I think that is the most beautiful scam of them all because I want to know, how do you spend 
three times your income and not have that money. Oh, credit. That's just it? Yeah, it's credit. And then you file bankruptcy and all that credit goes away. Oh, that's the most ingenious scam of it's them all. Honestly. So he is our number one scam artist yes. at this point. Yes. He's, He's like, psychic. I don't fucking care. And a scam artist. <laughs> Just because those two uh, avenues did not cross. Oh, he's like reaping the benefits, baby. So it's not looking good for Crowley, and it's looking like he may die at any point because of his drug usage and extreme poverty. But he did have a walking angel, like on earth angel, in the name of Deidre. <laughs> Deidre was pretty much infatuated with Crowley. And admired his work and read all of his books, ignored that he had gonorrhea at one point, and probably a multitude of STDs because he loved fucking. If anything, our boy loved fucking. So she came up to him after the trial and told him that she adored his work. She liked him. She loved what he was into. She was very about it. And she also said that she wanted to have his child, which a normal person would be like, eh, <laughs> no, who are you, crazy? But Crowley, <gasps> was no normal man. Mm -hmm. He was like, fuck yeah, that's fucking sick as shit. Yeah. You should have my seed. I think so. Hell yeah. So he was like, yeah, whatever. So Deidre took him in, got him clean, like clean off drugs. Oh my god! Literally fucking slapped this man into shape and got pregnant with his child. This bitch had a fucking mission. So it's like, who's the fucking hero of the story? Deidre is. And the baby boy was born in 1937 and named Alistair Atarturk. Crowley. Ataturk? I don't know. It's, it's probably some name. kind of Egyptian name. Whoa, okay. No, they said her name was like McCullen or something like that. I don't know. Crowley was actually really into his son. He like really liked him. He was Aww. like, this is cool, you know? But that might have also been like, you're a man and you just want a boy and he had only girls from that point. He even had like a, another girl with a mistress mm -hmm. and he was just kind of like, mm, not about it. Whatever. But this son, he was like, oh shit, this is cool. In the last years of Crowley's life, he was introduced to our boy, Gerald Gardner, like a formal greeting, like they saw each other face to fucking face. Yes. Did they kiss? We don't know. We're not sure. But they could have. Knowing both of them, they wanted to. <laughs> Crowley had been a key member of the Ordo Templi Orientis, which is an occult group that we did not even have time to really go into this episode because it's so fucking dense. But Crowley created a document saying that in his death, Gerald would take his place in the OTO. And then on December 1st, 1947, which is 74 years from when we released this fucking episode. Which is, we did not plan. We did not plan at all. We I had no fucking clue. Fucking Iweiwei or whoever his angel Iwas, came Iwas. Ayahuasca came down. Guardian angel. And said, oh, you have a spreadsheet? Uh, you have a calendar? Let me just. Boom. A you know, crazy. A, a tippity tap tap. So Alistair Crowley passed away December 1st, 1947. He was 72 years old and died of chronic bronchitis and pleurisy, which is kind of like an inflammation of your chest tissue. So probably from all that coughing too much sort oh of God, thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All the drainage from all the coke that he did. Exactly. About 12 people attended his funeral and excerpts from the Book of the Law, the Gnostic Mass, and the Hymn of Pan were read. Since Crowley was such a controversial figure at this time, his small little funeral was also controversial with the press calling it a black mass. I'm sure Crowley fucking loved all of the attention, though, you know, forever creating tabloid headlines, even up until the end. Crowley's body was created and sent to Carl Germer 
who was another member of the OTO. Carl buried Crowley's ashes in his own garden in Hampton, New Jersey, which is nearly an hour and a half away from New York City. Do you, do you think? I'm sure he's there. I don't know like what the address is, though. But I'm sure we could find it with mm-hmm. a little more like research. What would you, what would we, do we leave flowers? Do we shit on it? Like how do we? I think you take the dirt. <gasps> I think you steal. Oh. Oh. And use the magic for your own, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing you could do. Right? I think so. I think so. Um, I don't know. I'm drunk. And then one of the big Patreon questions we had was about the Thoth tarot deck, mm-hmm. which was illustrated by Lady Frida Harris, but then was commissioned by Aleister Crowley. So she was taking dictation from him about how it should look and how it should operate. And unfortunately, it was published in 1969, which you will notice is uh, much further after both of their deaths. So Mm. they never saw any monetary or um, prestige from this tarot deck. Mm -hmm. But many uh, Wiccans and contemporary witches use this tarot deck because it has like a bunch of different reimaginings that are related to science and philosophy and a very like large, diverse amount of occult imagery. Mm Mm-hmm. So, was he a good guy? That was one of the other big questions from Patreon. Salisha Crowley, was he a good guy? What do you think? I'm not sure if he was a good guy because many articles talked about, like, how into himself he was. Mm-hmm. And he was just very much like, I'm one of the coolest fucking people alive right now. Which he was. <laughs> Listen, but don't to talk be about fair, it. To be fair. But it's also like, there was nothing humbling about him. But I do wonder if he didn't grow up in a Christian fundamentalist home, would he have even cared? If he wasn't so, like, taught to be against so many of the things that are, like, sins or whatever, would he have ever pivoted into that world? Yeah. Like, would he have had such an air of defiance? Because so much of this feels like defiance. Yeah. A lot of it's like a bunch of teenage angst that you just carried until you died. (laughs) Yeah. Until you were fucking like 50. Exactly. You should have been over it by now. So I don't, I I think he was a fully rounded dude. Is my feeling. Mm -hmm. I don't think he was, I mean, he neglected many daughters. Yeah. Many wives. Many wives. He had sex with many people. I mean, who's to say like what it was like actually getting to know him. Yeah. People talked about like his um, his passion is and like love is being like very intense but like short lived, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's a funny way to say that he came early. <laughs> his attention was diverted, sort of yeah. thing. Which is like, does that make you a shitty person? I mean, I guess it depends on how well you know yourself. Yeah, if, and if you, you know that's your shit, you know. Totally. Like if you like come up and say like these are my boundaries and this is who I am and people don't believe you. I don't think people had the word boundaries in their vocabulary. Fair, 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 fair. So, um he was definitely a product of his time. Yeah. And while he is known as like a very generous person to some, he also had many racist and sexist views, which is just like basically any white man, which is yeah. not an excuse. No. But um and it is still very product of that time, but still Not an excuse. Mm -hmm. So he thought that women should have sexual freedom and that bisexual and gay people should like live their full lives and not hide who they are. Mm -hmm. But he also viewed women as being intellectually inferior Mm -hmm. to men. He also believed that Jewish people exhibited a falseness and a cunning that was built upon like so many years of like abuse, Mm -hmm. societal abuse. He was like, well, they've been abused for so many generations that of course they've like evolved to have like this untrustworthiness. 
and um and that's just not how it works my dude so there was a fun little like an aside to this uh-huh. he had a friend who was like adolf hitler might actually be into being a thelemite oh yeah we got it right and so he was like oh shit yeah and then the moment it turned like bad he was like fuck adolf hitler and blah 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 and it was like oh how two-sided is that yeah until it got what like what was the breaking point yeah, but like once so my- like the war probably because he died in 1947. So he was probably like, oh, maybe he is into witchcraft. So this was like the 1930s, though, where he was hearing of Adolf Hitler gaining power and whatnot. And he was like, oh, yeah, like maybe he'd be into witchcraft, some thelemite shit, blah, blah, blah. And then by the 1940s, where it was like, oh, actually, this is the wrong side to be on. Yeah. He retracted and it was like, oh, you're a bad person, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, ah, how easy it is to just say things and then retract, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, he definitely had, like, classic Victorian gentleman syndrome where he mm-hmm. was, like, enamored with, like, the cultural history of people of color and coveted their oh, women. like the Egyptians? Oh, my God. But then, like, did think that they were, like, smart or, like, deserved rights. Yeah. So that's Aleister Crowley. He is a complicated motherfucker. As, or as much Aleister Crowley as I could handle in one episode. Exactly. And I mean, we definitely could have gone more into like the Ordo Templi Orientis and shit like that. Like, I think that would deserve its own episode. Yeah. Because I don't even think he was the leader of it. I think he was just like a very key notable member in it. And it's like, so what is what is this? Like, this had its whole life, you know, and that skims the surface of what Aleister Crowley's life was like. And this was a fucking long episode full of, like this man, he did not stay home on Saturdays. No. He was out every fucking weekend. He did not take a holiday. He did not take a holiday. He was fucking doing shit. But I, I can say with 100% conviction, I think his mom was very disappointed. In yeah, oh my God. <laughs> we do not hear about how Emily died. We do not hear about like what she thought about Alistair Crowley. No. Like that uncle who was like, I should have never gotten him to lose his virginity that young. To that prostitute. <laughs> like, oh no. He was like, oh, this is why we don't do that. Oh shit. Okay. So fucking funny though. But he is a key member and like a key figure of the witchcraft movement. And so it's very interesting going into like his history and his biography and figuring out like how did this shape witchcraft now? Yeah. And there's so many names on this list that were like famous occultist, famous occultist. And I was like, who are all these dead famous cultist? Famous cultist. (laughs) Famous cult leader. Famous cult leader. L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. Hottie. Jack Parsons. (laughs) A few hotties thrown in the mix, you know. That means it's time for. Which is in the news. The last one of the season. Oh my gosh, we are going to get into it. Our first story is about gazing into the crystal bra. What? (laughs) Hold on, my tea. What? (laughs) Her tea just like went out of her mouth. California brand Max and Vera has answered a question for women that has been you know, haunting us for so long. Where do we put all these damn crystals? Are they going to, is it a little pocket? And your answer is, you put them in your bra, baby. Max and Vera has a collection of bralettes that incorporate crystals into the design with the crystals either hanging from the bit of fabric that connects the two bra cups or tucked into a pocket 
on the bra I, in like the bra band. I love this. Actually. Is this fucking cute? This it's is really so cute. cute. Max and Vera claim that by wearing these stones near your heart chakra, you are open to love more deeply and live from the heart. Which, you know, checks out to me. That sounds great. Oh, my God. This is That's science. the closest to the heart you can get. Here are the types of crystals you can get with your bralette. Rose quartz to deepen relationships and enhance self-love. Moonstone to calm stress and promote inspiration. Rainbow aura crystal to increase energy and enthusiasm. Amethyst to create a sense of calm, agate to improve self-expression and calm the nerves, and Lemurian seed crystal to help reach a state of balance. And if you want to get a crystal bra for your favorite bra-wearing fiend this holiday season, you can go to maxandvera.com. How would you feel if I got you a bra? Would you know my bra size? No, but I could guess. What would you guess? Be conservative. Be conservative. I would say, I mean, put your sweat. You're wearing a sweatshirt. A I'm also hard. not wearing a bra right now. 24A. 24? Yeah, you're tiny. No. 34A. 34. I'm like a 36. That fucking makes no sense. Because our I, that's where our our rib cages are very similar. We're very are similar not, sizes. No. You just have larger boobs than me. You're like a stick. No, but our, our bones are the same. Well, you should take my 24. Okay. Listen. It was a compliment. I was conservative. Um, no, I would love it. <laughs> I would love it. Also, bralette versus like a bra bra. Because oh, it's I not don't, a bra bra. Yeah, It's I don't like for need. fashion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then we have some other witchy newest highlights. So instead of stories one, two, and three, you're just getting a bunch of stories right now. So you Yay. ready? Aubrey Plaza did a whole interview on the Today Show dressed as a witch, even though Halloween had been over for like nearly a week. In her words, Plaza dressed up as the Christmas witch to promote her new children's book, The Legend of the Christmas Witch. The book is now available for purchase just in time for the holiday season. And then on the Pacific Northwest, we have news that Debbie Reynolds' Halloween Town House in Portland's Eastmoreland community has oh. been sold, baby. Woo! The iconic witchy three-story house with five bedrooms and two bathrooms has been sold for a $1.2 million. Oh, yeah. The house was originally built in 1892 at a price of a quaint $3,500. But what is that in now times? I mean, millions, obviously. <laughs> and then Ariana Grande will star as Glinda the Good Witch in the film adaptation of the musical Wicked. That's so cute. Ariana even manifested the role back in 2011 when she tweeted, Loved seeing Wicked again. Amazing production. Made me realize how badly I want to play Glinda at some point in my life. Hashtag dream role. Oh my God, she deserves it so Isn't bad. Isn't that fucking adorable? That's so cute. It's so fucking cute. Oh, and she like, deserves yes, it. Yes, bitch. Manifested and it came. And let's take a look at the forecast for December because, you know, we're stepping out for the month. We're going to... Hide in our little, like, houses. We're going to drink our hot cocoa. We're going to live our, like, little merry lives. But that does not mean that the stars stop when we do. So the Yule Sabbat will be on Tuesday, December 21st this year. The sun will be zero degrees in Capricorn and the moon in Leo for the Sabbat. Keep your eyes peeled, of course, for the Yevle goat. Will he be lit on fire? Will he not? We don't know yet. And enjoy your Yule feast, be merry, get cozy, eat a Yule log, and enjoy the longest night of the year. The biggest sleep. The biggest sleep. The most dark. 
as they say. The darkest of nights. The darkest of nights. Whatever holiday you're celebrating, Yule, Hanukkah, Christmas, just fucking enjoy it and have a great time. And I hope this one's better than last year's where everyone was kind of, you know, sequestered due to the pandemic. And now you can go out and do whatever the fuck you want, more or less, you know? So have a great holiday season, you guys. And we love you. And we love you. But wait, don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. We got one more thing. We got one more thing. Well, we got a couple more things. A couple more things, baby. All right. We're moving into the final segment. I'm sick. I'm very sick. She's been doing great. She's been coughing. She's been throwing up. We're doing great. How are we on that? We should be great. You just filled it. Oh, full, full battery, baby. I'm going to take my time. The Lord is with us right now. The mood. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, (laughs) activate. So this is a path-clearing ritual to make room for new magic by bustle but heavily based on magical recipes online, posted by the mage. Oh, okay, the mage. So this is what you're going to need. Orange essential oil. Ooh, lovely. Lemon blossom essential oil and citronella essential oil. Citron, like the shit that mosquitoes hate? Yeah. Okay, sure. I didn't know you could get that as an essential oil. An oil incense burner to hold all your oil. Uh, you need something. An orange. One orange? Single orange. Like the color orange or an orange orange? And a fruit. A fruit. A fruit orange. A white candle. A white candle. Paper. And pen. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. First things first. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. Cleansing ground. Cleansing ground, baby. Mix your oils. Mix your oils. Mix your oils. Mix your oils. Now visualize the year ahead, what you hope to accomplish, and what roadblocks you feel are in your way, spiritually, emotionally, or otherwise. Once you've boiled down your main intentions for the new year, write them down succinctly on one side of the paper. On the other side, choose a sigil to represent the path clearing and draw it. Mm-hmm. Anoint your paper with a bit of oil on either side. Get a little messy. Oh. Dab it. Do a little dab. Okay. So now it's time. You're going to anoint your candle and you're going to start your incense. So put some oil blend in your incense holder. Burn it to infuse your space with path clearing energy. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to take the orange, put it in the middle of the candle, rub it up, rub the oil up. Blend it towards you, up towards the top, and then start from the top and rub yourself all the way back down. Ooh, sexual. Set your candle and light it, focusing on your intention. Mm -hmm. And then I want you to read your intentions out loud nine times. It seems like a lot, but eventually by like the third one, you're just going to be in the zone. You're in it. You're fucking Aleister Crowley's there. This guy's magical energy his little hand fucking Horus is there Iwas is there everyone's there everyone's there all the while imagining yourself happily living those accomplishments so you need to be in it in those intentions in that mental space and then close out by saying aloud with trust to the divine grace I now know and declare that my road has already opened and I'm walking towards my happiness and success and so it is or something like that okay that sounds good. Allow your candle to burn out safely. I heard recently using birthday candles is the way to go. Hell yeah. Because they come in so many colors and they're so small. Ooh. And then Bustle said, repeat this ritual for the following seven days. To which I say, ah, time for that. That's I'm with a lot. family. That's a lot so of just energy. Do it as many times as you can. If you can only do it once, that's fine. Mm-hmm. 
Fold up your paper towards you with the sigil side up and either save the paper on your altar or carry it with you in your wallet. And then if your intention does come true, like your path does clear up, you're going to ceremoniously burn this sigil because mm. it's done its own job. Love it. And that's it, gang. I fucking love that. Oh my god, we did it! We did a whole, we did three seasons of a podcast. Welcome to season three, the end, baby. Oh my god, the witch's curse is lifted. Hey, we did it! I can go be a ballerina like I've always wanted to be. We did it. We would like to thank Marcel Perez, our producer, Mallory Porter, our creative director, and Kevin McLeod for the music that we use in the intro and outro each week. Thank you. Thank you. I'd also like to thank anyone that's left an Apple Podcast review. I just appreciate you. And yeah. also, I just want to thank everyone that listens to this podcast. We've been at this for three years. That's crazy. No plans. <laughs> no idea what we're just doing. Just winging it. Just having fun. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are like, I love these messy broads. They love us. <laughs> and we love you too. So if you have a moment, take a moment and just give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. It's a nice little, you know, Yuletide Christmas gift to us. Wink. And if you want to find me, I'm on Instagram at Alicia period Herder. And if you want to find Tara, I'm at Tara period. No, that's not right. I'm at uh, her lovely face. That's my art Instagram. And then I also have underscore little moss. That's like my Finsta, my private Instagram. I basically just see if you're following Alicia or you're not a bot. <laughs> that's it. The bare minimum. And then we, the podcast, are on Instagram at which yes. And you can share an episode in your stories. Tag us and we'll feature you on our stories. When we remember, I'm sorry, we've fallen off a few times, but <laughs> we really do try. It's just, you know, social media doesn't run our lives and it shouldn't run yours either, you know? You can find us at Witch Yes Facebook Coven. You can find us anywhere. You can find us. We're here. <laughs> we're everywhere. We're all over. And then, of course, we have an email account if you don't like any of the socials, and that's witchyespodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to us. And if you want to have your little witchy shop sponsored in one of our episodes, reach out to us and Maybe we can pull an advertisement for you. Exactly. Also, uh, we have an amazing Discord. They talk a lot. They do their own thing. I love it. It's completely like run, not by us. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Um, you can also find us on Patreon, $5 Patreon, which is in above. are getting two extra episodes a month, which makes this a weekly podcast. Oh, ow, ow. They knew about our merch before you did. They know about episodes before you do. And then on top of that, while we're taking our holiday break, they will continue to get episodes. Oh, because they pay the for it. Prodigal child. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ten dollars and above get access to our close friends list and more. They get shout outs. They get show, show notes. notes. Plus, they're gonna get early access to more cool stuff when it comes out. So get excited for that. That again is on our Patreon. And of course, we are you know two gals and one dude making a podcast. So yeah. the Patreon goes a long way. So it if does. you're looking to be charitable. You can always look to us. It's $5 a month. <laughs> it's $5. And there's like 14 hours of content. It's pretty fucking cool. It's pretty fucking tight. Plus. What's more? Plus. Plus. And I guess. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did we do it? Last of the season? What are we going to. What are we. What do we even do next season? I don't know. <laughs> we'll have to talk about it later over our break. We become a YouTube channel. Oh, stop. That'd be great. I would love it. <laughs> be too much. I'd uh, run out of makeup. I feel like I would be instantly more Googleable. <laughs> I'm medium Googleable. I'm very Googleable. You're extremely Googleable. We've got to hit that SEO, baby. <laughs> that search engine optimization. And this has been 
Witch, yes. Bye. Bye. Happy holidays. Happy Yule. Happy Yule. Happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Do whatever the fuck you want. Baby. Bye.